Hello. It's good to see everybody. Good morning. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here. Uh, it's really good to be together. Really great to have our youth in the room and recovery and really fun. Let's give a hand for all being together. Hey, as I start off this morning, uh, we're going to do an activity that requires some participation. So I need a volunteer, but I need a volunteer who's willing to uh, do something a little bit different. <laughs> I won't give you any more detail. All right, Joey, come on up. I, th- I was sitting next to Joey. I was like, he's going to volunteer. I, I, sure enough. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. Come on up. Oh, here, let's introduce yourself. Oh, no. Come on, Mike. Oh, wait. There you go. You'll do great. You want to introduce yourself? Hi, family. I'm Joey. (laughs) Nice. Well done. All right. Here's what's going to happen. No, 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 no. I have here an official contract. Um, See? Official (laughs) contract. Now, the terms of this official contract read as such. You want to read that for us? I will not rip up this official contract. Okay. So these are the terms of the contract. Everybody witness it. Okay, this is a a well-witnessed thing. And Joey, I'm going to ask you to sign the official contract. Will you do that? I will. All right. Witnesses here. Our HR department is looking on as well. All right, there we go. Thank you. You're welcome. We're not done yet, though. Okay. Everybody witnessed the signature? Yep. Okay. It was kind of like the Avengers to me. but um. Okay, now here's the hard part. Having signed this contract, I'm going to ask you to violate your integrity. I'm going to ask you to rip up the contract straight down the middle. I know you just did it. I know. I know. We're in church. I'm asking you to break your word. Forgive me, Lord. Yeah, it's okay. It's for the sake of the illustration. God understands. I checked. It's all good. Are you sure? I'm 100%. I signed it. I know, man. <laughs> They're okay. They're on your side. All right. Thank you. Let's give Joey a hand. That's it, man. You're done. All I wanted you to do was violate your integrity. That's it. You know? Here we have it. You guys witnessed it, right? You saw a contract enacted, agreed to, and then broken. Now, we're going to use this to think about what we're talking about this morning. So I don't want us to forget us. I'm going to tape it up here so we can always remember how Joey has no integrity. (laughs) Just kidding, man. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. That works. Official contract broken. Now, the reason we want to do this is to think about the reality that uh, we all do this, right? We all say that we're going to do something, and then we don't. Or we say that we're not going to do something, and we do. Or we know the right way to do something, and we do it a different way. Or we don't even care what the right way is, and we just do it the way we want to do it. And so this broken contract reminds us of something about ourselves, but it also reminds us that this paper will never be made whole again. And we could tape it, you could do whatever you want, but this particular contract, this official contract, 
is forever broken. And nothing we can do can fix it. We are in the book of Exodus right now. We've been in Exodus since September. We've been seeing God work in lots of different ways. We've broken up the book in three major sections. The first section, we saw God deliver his people from slavery into freedom. Second major section, we saw God give his people a set of rules and laws, a code to live by. And in the third major section, which we're in right now, we've been watching as God has taught his people how to worship. Last week, we saw how Scott unpacked this idea that runs throughout all of scripture that God desires to make a home with his people. The problem that we're going to be acutely aware of this morning is that we don't make it easy for God to make his home among us. We tend to do things that make that hard. And all of us are familiar with the simple fact that we make mistakes. Now, this broken contract is not that big of a deal. I'm going to throw it away at the end of the service unless Joy wants it as a souvenir. Um, But most of us have made mistakes that are way more consequential. We've done things that have hurt ourselves. We've done things that have hurt the people in our lives. We've done things that have broken families, fractured jobs, hurt relationships. And when those kinds of things happen, we are left with this burning question. How do we fix the mess we've made? How do we fix the mess that gets left behind when we make mistakes? And most of us know that it's a lot easier to make a mess than to clean one up. And we need to figure this out if we're going to go forward in life. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt people. We're going to do things that aren't the right way. And so we have to solve this burning question. How can a wrong be made right? That's what we're going to see this morning as God's people make a huge and terrible mistake. And we're going to see this question come up over and over again in our passage where we're trying to figure out how God's people can fix the wrong that they've done. To do this, we're going to read through Exodus 32, and we're going to see a bunch of different scenes. First, we'll see the actual mistake that God's people make. And then we're going to see how those consequences ripple outward. We'll see God talk to Moses about the mistake. We'll see Moses talk to God. We'll see Moses talk to the people. And then eventually we will see Moses try his hardest to find a way to repair the fracture that has happened. And unfortunately, he's not going to succeed. But we're going to jump forward to the end of the story and see how God eventually makes a way. Now, before we jump into Exodus 32, we need to catch up a little bit with where we're at. So I want to go back to Exodus 24 This is right after God gives his people the Ten Commandments and the whole book of the law. This is what happens. This is Exodus 24, verse 7. Then he, that's Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. That's the signature on the contract. That's God's people saying, we've heard the code that you've given us, 
and we are hereby agreeing that that is what's going to guide our life. So they signed the contract. A few verses later, this is what happens. Verse 14. And he said to the elders, wait here for us. That's Moses speaking to the elders of the people. Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So Moses is about to go back up on the mountain. And before he does, he tells them, I'm coming back. I need you to wait here. If anything goes wrong, Aaron's in charge. Got it? So that's where we're at. And then this is what happens. Moses has been up on the mountain for about 40 days at this point. That's what, almost six weeks. So it's been a while and the people get impatient. This is what they do. This is verses one to six in chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. He was the guy in charge and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. God's people had signed a contract that said they would do what God said and now, not quite six weeks later, they have violated the second commandment of those Ten Commandments. They have formed an image. They have made an object to represent the God in heaven. And they have fallen down in worship before that object. But here's what's really going on, is that God has spent the last six weeks preparing something for his people. If you remember, Moses met with God on the mountain, and then what we've been seeing is God figuring out a way to allow the people to have the kind of intimate worship experience in the valley that Moses had on the mountain. And so he's given Moses instructions for the tabernacle, for a building. He's given Moses instructions on a set of priests that would help to facilitate this worship experience. And everything that the people do here at the beginning of chapter 32 is something that God has already been planning for them. They take a collection of earrings, but God had told them they should take a collection. They're looking for a God who would go before them, and that's exactly how the God of Israel described himself. They build the golden calf, but God had plans for them to use real calves as sacrifices in the act of worship. They build an altar, but God had told Moses, you're supposed to build a certain kind of altar. 
And the most significant one, they sat down to eat and drink. If you remember, several weeks ago, we saw how the leaders of Israel went up and they ate with God on the mountain. So now God's people are doing that in the valley, but not the way God intended. They've gotten impatient. They've jumped the gun. Instead of waiting for Moses to bring down these instructions delivered from the mouth of God that would create for them this intimate, rich experience of worship and spiritual experience. They got impatient and they did it on their own. And it was nowhere near as good as what God had planned for them. When I was reading this passage, it made me remember that a few years ago, uh, my wife had a big birthday coming up. And so I was, uh, I'm not allowed to say the number, that's illegal. Um, So there was a big birthday coming up and uh, I was going to surprise her with a big party. And so I was doing all these plans and I was talking to people and and, and it started to get kind of weird because I'd be like doing this stuff and she'd say, hey, what are you doing? I'd say, oh, nothing. Like, really? Oh yeah, nothing's going on. I'm not talking to your friends. I'm not, you know. And then the, the, the day comes and it's kind of like, what's happening today? Oh, nothing, you know, just a normal day. Until the big party and the surprise and everything. But, but it's like leading up to it, there's this weird period of waiting so that the event itself is that much more meaningful. And that's what God was doing for his people. He was preparing, he was planning, he was building, he was crafting something incredible to give his people. But they couldn't wait, they did it on their own, and it wasn't anywhere near as good. They missed out. They missed out on what God had planned for them. As readers, we are meant to watch them and be incredulous. We are meant to say, how could you possibly have messed up in such a major way? You had meat fall from the sky. You had bread rained on the ground every day. You had God lead you through the Red Sea. You were saved from slavery. All of these things that we've been reading have happened to you. How could you give up on God so easily? We're supposed to be shocked. But what happens is that As soon as we're shocked at them, those questions become a boomerang and they land back on us. And we realize that we've done pretty much the same thing. That many of us have seen God work in our lives. We've seen his goodness. We've experienced the richness of what it means to have faith. And yet we've turned away just as quickly, just as easily, to gods that were just as meaningless. So this is what has happened. This is the mistake. And the rest of the chapter plays out the consequences. First, God speaks to Moses about it. And then we're going to see Moses respond to God, and then Moses talk to the people. God speaks to Moses starting in verse 7 of chapter 32. Listen to what he says. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. As we read these words, we can hear God's hurt. He's been replaced. The people that he's cared for have betrayed him. They've made this paltry little golden calf and they have said that it is the one who led them out of Egypt when God knows that that's what he did for them. And essentially what God says to Moses is, I'm done. He says, Moses, you know about these people too. They're not very easy to lead. Let's just be done with them. And he offers Moses what would have been a sweetheart deal in the ancient Near East. He says, let's just do this, you and I. Let's destroy all those people. I mean, you've been struggling with them in the desert. Let's just destroy them and we'll start over. And I'll make you the new patriarch of a new nation. That is the best kind of deal you could get in the ancient Near East. It's like winning the lottery. You were going to be the one from whom a new nation would come. That's what God offers to Moses. What do you think Moses is going to say? Yes. yes, yeah, I might say that. But listen to what Moses says. This is starting in the middle of verse 12. Moses says this, turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. It's really remarkable that Moses would turn down the offer that God had made to him. Instead of taking the deal for himself, he says, God, you made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Israel. You need to keep your promise, and you need to give your people the land that you said. Now, this raises some weird theological questions, but at least for the sake of the story, the way it reads is that Moses manages to change God's mind. He talks him out of the disaster that he had planned. And what we realize in this passage is that the people of God, because of the mistake they've made, find themselves in need of a mediator. They need someone that will stand between God and themselves that will help smooth out the situation. And so Moses plays that role. He becomes a mediator. But we also learn that they need a certain kind of mediator. For things to be repaired, they need someone to mediate who's not in it for themselves. A mediator who's willing to sacrifice his or her own interests for the sake of repairing the relationship. This is the kind of mediator that Moses becomes. He stands in between God and his people, not trying to get something for himself, but honestly trying to repair the rift. Now, many of us have experienced this in different relationships that we've had. We get to a place sometimes where we find we need someone to help us figure out what's going on between two people. 
I know my wife and I, over the years, we've been married, have often benefited from a counselor to come in and just help us clarify some situation, help us see things that we can't quite see without the help of a third party. This is why companies have HR departments to step in and help mediate. It's why a lot of our friendships sometimes, we, we ask a third friend to say, hey, this is what's going on. I, I'm not sure I'm seeing it right. Can you help clarify? We know that need for someone to come in and bring light to a situation that doesn't make sense. That's what Moses steps into. So God spoken to Moses. Moses has managed to cool God down, to talk him out of his anger. And then Moses goes down to the valley, and this is what happens. This is verses 19 through 20. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. It's actually the same language that we read where God's anger had burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Two significant things have happened here. First, Moses takes these tablets, the gift of the law, he throws them down and they shatter. The covenant that God's people had agreed to ripped in half, never to be made whole again. But the second thing he does is he takes the calf that they had worshipped and he burns it. It was probably gold around a wooden frame, so it burned pretty well. And then he, he took the ashes from that and he probably sprinkled it on the river or the spring, wherever they were getting their water, so that when they drank from it, they would take in the ash and the char and the gold. Now, this was an observation that was made to me when I taught this passage in the seniors ministry that part of the reason for that was so that then when the people pooped, they could see the gold in their poop. Leave it to the seniors to, you know, <laughs> observe bodily functions. But um, what happened then is that God's people found themselves in a situation where both of their options were worthless. The tablets that God had given them to relate to him were broken. The idol that they had chosen instead of God was now shiny bits in their poop. And they had nowhere to go. They had nowhere to turn. They'd managed somehow to ruin everything. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we find ourselves in a similar place where we face a situation and we realize, I don't know what to do. I can't see a path forward. I've messed it up or somebody else has messed it up and I just don't see any way out. When I was growing up, uh, I had a beanbag chair in my room and I was remembering this when I was studying this passage, that there were times where you know, life was hard, something would happen, and I would just feel that place of desperation. I would just curl up on that beanbag chair and cry as a kid. I put it in the corner of my room and I just have these you know, occasional memories of just kind of weeping, curled up in this beanbag chair. And that's what I feel like God's people are here. It's hopeless, they're desperate. Both their options are gone. 
There's nowhere else to turn. But what happens is that throughout the scriptures and many of our lives, we could attest to this as well, that place of finding ourselves crying in a beanbag chair or whatever it is for you is a beautiful and powerful place to be because that's often the place where God makes himself known. He shows up in ways that we can't predict, that we often don't understand, and that lead to an option that never even seemed possible to us. And so God sees his people. He sees that the paths are destroyed. He wants to help them. And so Moses eventually goes back up the mountain to try to make things right. He's trying to repair, trying to be a good mediator between the people and God. This is what Moses says in verses 30 to 34. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Now this is a hard passage to read. Moses goes up to God. He pleads with God for forgiveness. He says, if you would forgive them, and the sentence just trails off. He can't even finish it. His heart is so heavy with longing. He's even willing to sacrifice himself. He says, blot me out of your book if that's what it takes. And God says, no. He says, I will not forgive this people yet. He says, I will hold them accountable he does relent from the disaster and he tells them, keep going, I'm, keep leading them forward, but this isn't over yet. And so as Exodus 32 comes to a close, we are left with this uncomfortable question that there does not yet seem to be a way to fix the wrong that has been done. God's people have messed up and the answer to the problem has not been revealed yet. That's where we're at, at the beginning of Exodus 33. Now, as Exodus keeps going, we're going to see that God is trying to answer this question. He's trying to come up with a system to allow for atonement for his people. And so the sacrifices, the Old Testament system, eventually the temple, all of that is answering this question. It's God allowing a way for a broken and sinful people to make good on their mistakes, and come into his presence. But we find that that system fails at every possible turn. It's never enough to fix the problem until, of course, we get to the New Testament. And when we get to the New Testament, God himself says, I will fix this. This is what happens. This is the way 
The Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Timothy 2. This is uh, verses 4 to 6. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, the whole story of the Old Testament is basically one simple message. We can't fix the problems we've caused. That's it. But when you get to the New Testament, God says, but I can. He shows up as the person of Jesus. He is the perfect mediator because he is not looking out for his own interests. He's willing to sacrifice his own life for the sake of restoring the relationship. And Christ Jesus offers a solution to the problem that's been haunting the world for thousands of years. Christ restores the relationship. For us, that is good news. Because we've gotten to that place where we realize we can't fix it. We can't right the wrong that we've caused. We can't be okay. Except that when we put our faith in Christ, he restores us. And we can live that free sense of joy without shame, without guilt. We can let Jesus fix our mistakes. We can turn to him because we can't do it ourselves. A lot of us in the room have experienced that. We are grateful for it. We praise God for it. But there's also a sense in which we have that message that others need to hear. We live in a culture of people that are burdened by shame, that know they're not okay, that see their lives as broken and get to that place of desperation and they don't know where to go. And so we want to be people who offer the message of life, the message of glory, the message of hope for people who don't have that option. I'm excited because as a church, we're actually gonna be entering into a season where we are thinking more and more about this. How can we make the good news of the gospel of Jesus known in our area? We're gonna be joining with a couple hundred churches in the Bay Area on a sermon series starting in the fall called Explore God, where we will be answering some of the deep questions that make it hard for people to believe in Jesus. But leading up to that, we're going to be preparing with uh, small group training and some seeker groups and prayer times and different ways to think about what it looks like to, to live out the truth of the gospel in our culture so this is going to be a big theme of ours moving forward. We were praying and thinking about this at our most recent pastor elder meeting. And there was this strong sense, I think the spirit led us to in the room where we realized if we're going to do this as a church, then it has to start in that room. It has to start with us as pastors and elders. And so we all said, let's, let's commit to praying every day for a month that God would change our hearts, that he would grow us into being more willing and more burdened by this need. So I was gonna share that this morning and I thought, oh no, have I done it every day since? <laughs> I think I've missed a few, but never fear, I've set an alarm on my phone as of this morning. So my phone will remind me the benefits of technology every morning at eight to pray along with the other pastors and elders and you are welcome to join us as well 
to pray that our hearts would be changed, to be moved towards this message. Because we have experienced this freedom. We have experienced our brokenness restored. And we want that for others. So uh, let's go back and think about this contract that, that Joey so um, kindly signed and then immediately destroyed. Um, it can't be fixed. And I wonder if this visual might connect to each of us in different ways. That maybe there's something in each of our lives that when we see that, we think of something broken, something that we desperately need God to repair, or maybe there's something that we've seen God repair. As we move forward in our worship service, I want to invite you to reflect on that, to invite the Spirit in to, to whatever it is that this resonates within you for. We're going to have a time in a few minutes of what we call Life Together, where we will have the opportunity to come up and share about something God has done in your life. But before that, we're going to sing a song about the greatness of God. And as we do that, I want to invite you, whatever it is, whether it's something that, that you've experienced freedom from or, or you want to experience freedom, to just hold that before God in worship. To just release it. To let go of the brokenness, the despair, the shame, the guilt, and to let God free you from that. That's the message we've seen is that God wants his people to be free from their mistakes. He's merciful. He's good. He loves us. Allow yourself to be drawn into that and receive that grace. Let's pray. God, we know this place of having no options available to us, of seeing what seems like an impossible situation and not knowing where to go, of feeling overwhelmed and stuck. Thank you that you love us so much, that you meet us there, that you show up in that place, that desperate, tender place, and you offer us life. May we receive that. May we let go of those things that, that we're clinging to, the mistakes that we're trying to fix on our own power, the things that we can't believe could ever be redeemed. May you help us to release those, to experience this freedom of forgiveness. And may you empower us to share that news with others so that they can experience the life that you meant us to live as well. God, we love you. Thank you so much. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and by your spirit. Amen.